Hello, Conversations with Dwyer listeners. If you are enjoying the podcast, but you want a little bit more, you can become a Patreon subscriber. And for $5 a month, you can get bonus content, bonus episodes, and a podcast that I create solely for Patreon, where I talk to comedians about the music that they like. And you get a pin that was created by Charlene Yee of the, the, the Conversations with Dwyer logo. So please, become a Patreon subscriber. The link is in my show notes under All Things Dwyer, or you can just go to themattdwyer.com. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. I'm not your Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. As you may or may not know, this is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called I'm Not Your Man. And it is from the album Getting Strange, which is by Grady Strange. And that comes out July 21st on Perpetual Doom 2021. And let me tell you this. Grady Strange is a goddamn good songwriter. (laughs) Uh I I just I I'm completely enamored with his music. He's really great, and uh, I think if if you are f- for some reason unaware of Grady Strange's music, please explore it. All links to Grady's music is in the show notes, Bandcamp, etc., etc. Please purchase his album, uh, which is coming out on Perpetual Doom. You can get uh, cassettes and records, and you can also get streaming. But please pay for it. Don't just stream it because. Artists don't make shit from streaming. And Perpetual Doom is also a great label. They have a monthly cassette club, uh, which and they have a book coming out called Navigation to Nowhere, which is uh, uh, stories and poetry and art from a variety of people, a lot of who have been on the show or will be on the show in the near future. Uh, Ryan Sambal, who's been on the show a couple times, uh, Tim Rutilli, but man, the list is long. It's a really cool-looking book. I highly suggest all these things you could buy in the show notes. They're, the links are there, and uh, especially Grady Strange. I really enjoyed my conversation with Grady. The dude can tell a story, very funny, and the story about how he got his four-track recorder. Which I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blow the tail for you in the intro. That's just would be silly of me. It's a great story, and if you're enjoying the conversation with Grady. Guess what? There's 45 minutes of extra content on for uh, for Patreon subscribers. So here you get an hour of me and Grady talking, and I edited. You know, the conversation here is edited a little bit. I at one point said something I thought was really stupid. I edited it out. You won't hear it. You do hear me be stupid on a Patreon. You could become a Patreon subscriber and go, Dwyer. That was a really stupid thing you said. That's the great power of uh, editing. I can make myself not look so dumb. Um, all right, enough of that being said. Oh, and go to themattdwire.com. All the episodes of past uh, uh, guests are up there, uh, themattdwire.com, and also there's going to be a Conversations with Dwyer, which will be basically the same website, but soon they're all... You can see past guests and explore my wonderful library. And if you like Grady and his music, well, guess what? I've had a lot of guests is great as he is and so explore my library and enough of my ramble bamble please enjoy my conversation with Grady Strange when I moved 
here, I was used to shitty Chicago tacos where it's just like cheese and sour cream and just, right. and I was, so the first time I had one of those street tacos, I was like, what the fuck is this? This isn't a taco. And little did I know I was, I was wrong. Yeah, we were, we were, <laughs> we were having the American version, the shittier version, the cheesier version. Um, the most impressive thing they do though, is they have the pineapple on top of the meat. Oh, on top of the al pastor so there's a big spit that they they slice the meat off there's a pineapple on top and without looking they like have a plate of your tacos and he just like looks away and does this a bunch of times and he scrapes the pineapple off pieces of the pineapple off and catches them on your tacos without any hand-eye coordination that's pretty fucking badass yeah he's like the guru the higher up of the <laughs> he's only like He's midnight to 6 a.m., like the sort of the rush hour. <laughs> that taco truck by the Lassens, what is that fucking street? Right at, like, where Masa is? Right to oh, the, I know what you're talking about. That place, that one's pretty good, too. That one's great. If you go one more block on Echo Park Ave across the street, like where that Bank of America is. Yeah. Close, one street closer to the lake, there's that big parking lot, like, behind the Echo and all those kinds of things. Right on the edge of that parking lot, there's a quesadilla lady that blew my mind. She makes all her own masa right there in front of you. These incredible quesadillas. My friend hipped me to it pretty recently, and now I like. I think I, I carry cash pretty much just in case I like drive by her. In a cashless world, I only have cash for the quesadilla lady. Yeah, it's funny because when I moved here, I lived in New York before I came here, and I grew up in Chicago. And people, all I ever heard was how shitty the food was, and I was like. And then, like, all that, just the streets filled with, like, dudes with hot, like, those, death, pure death, those bacon-wrapped hot dogs. But when you're fucking loaded. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've never had one of those sober, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. They're never, you, you, your mind uh, can look past the attraction when, you can weigh, you can outweigh pretty easily the cons over the pros of eating one of those. But if you're, if you're sober. Even, but, um, yeah. When you're drunk, you're just like it's books. It couldn't be more perfect. Yeah, even hammered though. I've had those, and I was like immediately like, "Oh, that was that was not a good call." But I'll just go <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can still get a bad one. <laughs> yeah. But did you did you have that like preconceived notion of LA or preconceived notions of LA when you moved here from you're from Jersey? No, I kind of got a good like. Um, like leeway into moving here because I grew up in Jersey, but then I moved to Nashville and I lived in Nashville for eight years. And then I started dating Mackenzie and I had already visited LA a lot before that, but I would visit because of her all the time. And so I kind of like got in, in with her, she grew up in LA. So her knowledge of the good food and the friends and the music scene and all that, I kind of got an easy, like held my hand into into LA. So it, there was no, uh, I was more told about the great little spots in the Valley and the dives and the whatnot, the tiki bars. I had a nice little handbook instead of like people. Cause for me, I had only been to the West side or to you tour through and you're just like, for me, I wanted to go to the beach. And so then you're like, I guess this is LA. Like the Venice boardwalk is LA. And this is all that, <laughs> this is all it is. And we're opening up for somebody at somewhere weird, the Roxy or something. And then that's all you see. And you're like, this place, it does, this sucks. And then, and, then, and then I visited the east side and I was like 40 minutes from the beach. I don't want to do that. But then I was like, oh, I get it. These are my people. 
Yeah, that's how I felt when I moved to Echo Park. Like, I kind of dicked around, like, couch surfed and lived in the valley for, like, North Hollywood. North Hollywood now is kind of, like, getting hit, but back then it was, like, I'd lived across from, like, I think, I'm pretty sure a drug house, and, like, there was always a dude out front, so I... That's usually a guy out front 24 hours a day is not a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Our old neighbor would just get picked up and drop, driven around the block. And they, they had to move out recently, which sucks. But, um, yeah, I know the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you've, then, and I, I am fascinated by, like, that Roxy area. Like, I love seeing, like, 60-year-old hair metal dudes who just fucking still holding on. <laughs> oh yeah there's there's people and it's funny you talk to people not from la and they're like should i go to downtown or hollywood and you're like neither <laughs> you know <laughs> they're like well what else is there there's the beach there's downtown and there's hollywood and they're like yeah I'm, i think i'm gonna try to play the roxy or go get a tour of whatever and you're like oh no 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 please do, do you do you do you like the smell of human defecation because definitely go to downtown <laughs> yeah for real. It's so weird. All these other, all most other cities, I guess not as big, but they, their downtowns are actually where it's at. Like Nashville was, was more of a tourism downtown, but it was still like people play there. There was things going on there. Downtown here's not much going on, but I had a period, like I bartended in a dive downtown for like 10 years. And it, there was a brief period where it was like, this is going to happen. And then I don't know what the fuck happened, but it just, yeah. I mean, it's, and I barked into that down there a couple of years ago and it was like just people shooting heroin right out just yeah. hanging out shooting heroin <laughs> totally there's no like beautiful old architecture or neighborhoods for people to you know kind of take it out like in a shitty way gentrify it so it just kind of stays a weird unused abandoned business area and, and fashion district and whatever. I've played a couple like DIY shows at little spaces down there and they're all fun and people have really cool spaces, but you're also like kind of just stoked to go home at the end. I'm excited. I feel bad. I've never been to the smell, which I don't even know if that still exists, but that was like, it still does. I think, I think they just saved it. I've never been either, which I'm like kind of a kook for not going, but yeah. Where did you grow up in Jersey? I'm fascinated by Jersey because I'm a big pizza fucking dork. Yeah. Star Tavern? Uh, Is that I grew, oh, uh, Yeah, I've been there. Um, P- 
Pete Melders was a big one by me. That was like a tourism one where people would go, like the slices were huge. And if you ate a whole pie, you could get a t-shirt or something <laughs> in, in between throwing up. But, um, but I grew up, I went to Point Pleasant Borough High School. So it was like a mile in from the beach. Um, and I spent a lot of time th- between there and Ocean County and Monmouth County. And now my family members live in Asbury Park, and I spent a lot of time there as well. So now I kind of rep Asbury Park because it's the only, like, cool little music scene in New Jersey, and that's where I came up musically. But, um, yeah, Point Pleasant, there was a spot called Vesuvio's down the street. It was it was Pat's or Vesuvio's, and you were kind of alleged to one. And Pat's had the best cheesesteaks, but... I liked the pizza more from Vesuvio's. Vesuvio's, the dudes were so cut and dry Italian family. There was always somebody like screaming on the phone. And then you would come in with your friends. There was like the younger guy who would take your order, like one of the sons. And then like the even younger guys were the ones like work in the oven and the old guys just on the phone all day yelling at people. Um, and so we would go in for lunch in high school and if say your mom packed you a lunch one day and you don't want a slice of pizza you walk in there and they'd be like what do you want what do you want what do you want and you'd be like uh two two plain slices two plain slices in a coke and if you didn't want anything that day they're like what do you want you're like oh i'm good today they're like get out what do you want what do you want and they would and they would kick you out and you'd have to eat your packed lunch on the curb um and i loved it i was like you don't want to know anything about me i've been here for 18 years ordering your pizza and you don't care what my name is and it's beautiful <laughs> have you been to east side deli over by that's by that's an echo it's like a weird side street no. italian deli a lot of cops and firemen eat there. I don't, someone, it was, people always say that's a good sign, and I'm like, I don't know. What makes cops have a good taste in food? But. Yeah, I don't agree with that. But <laughs> I, I have been, I have been to a, uh, like a diner that was like a kind of a cop diner, and it's weird. It's kind of near their academy, but yeah. the prices are the prices are unreal. The breakfast, it's like two eggs, hash browns, toast, and a coffee for an endless coffee for like four ninety nine or something. I've been to that place. And I think maybe- you're the only not cop and you could hear gunshots at the firing range. So you're kind of like, this is aggressive, but it's cheap. <laughs> it's hard to really enjoy a meal when you're surrounded by cops. <laughs> it's, like, it's not really relaxing exactly. to me. <laughs> no. Yeah, just getting judged. But that's how that Eastside Deli was. There once, there's like I was looking for a place to sit down. The guy looks around. He's like, "These all these motherfuckers are done." He's just like, "All right, come on, go, 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 go." It's just like started getting rid of people. I was like, "Fuck, this is like classic old school." It's so backwards, but that gives me like a sense of nurturing comfort. (laughs) Like, like one time I pulled up to a four way stop and somebody like flipped me off and was like, "Hey," and I was like, "Oh my god, (laughs) that's so awesome." I was like, I used to always get flipped off and forward. <laughs> you know? Was that was your neighborhood very like old school in that way? Your, your old Jersey neighborhood? It was like tiny, boring suburb. Nothing going on, but those pizza and bagel spots, um, and the high school and like the football team. There wasn't a whole lot. It was like every Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> I just I forget what I was reading, but something about how like 
you made a video that was nostalgic of like Goodfellas and the Sopranos and you said like it just because it made you sort of miss Jersey and I didn't know if that was kind of your world yeah I grew up my mom's side was like 100% Italian so my grandpa was super Italian and he would cook big family dinners on the weekends that kind of thing so I grew up like with some paisano relatives <laughs> and uh yeah I don't know I'm, I eat a lot I ate a lot of lasagna and all that kind of stuff um so I binged The Sopranos finally in full. I had seen bits and pieces and been like, of course, a classic, but I didn't really like give it the time of day. And then over quarantine, binged the whole thing, left with a huge void in my heart um, and a missed connection from my childhood that needed to be (laughs) kindled, rekindled. And so, yeah, I... um, I was talking to a friend and they were like, you should just, cause I had just finished the record. And so I, I love making videos and a lot of my songs, I don't feel like are done until I get a visual with them. So they were like, you got to make, it sounds like you need to make a Sopranos or mafia video. And I was like, you're totally right. I need to make a, and so then we just went from there. And my one friend is a stunt man. And so he was like, I got whatever you want. You can whack me, do whatever you want. Um, so, and he's, he, he's not Italian, he's Australian, but if I, you know, when you're playing the role all day, you kind of get into, uh, you get into character, but it was so fun to do that. Like playing an Italian mob dude, Jersey Italian mob dude, without the worry of being whacked was like so much fun. <laughs> like without having any of the pressure, but just getting to like lay into the jokes <laughs> and, uh, and the people, the Marinara twins were incredible. They've seen, they've watched so much of that shit to where I, I was like, I'm like trying to direct it and write it. And I'm kind of in the, in the zone, taking it seriously. And then we'd like get in that booth in the deli and they'd say something. And I would just be like, I have to be done for 15 minutes. Cause that was, they were, they were too good. They were too good at it. I wouldn't even give them anything. I wasn't even like really talking. I'd be like, that guy fucking, you know, he, he called, and then he called me a fool. And uh, he'd just be like, that cocksucker. <laughs> it was just, it was just, it was just too good. I can't even, you know, try to recreate it. But yeah, we, at the end of the day, we were all sad. We were like, we need to make a sequel. This was too good. Will, so, there, will there be a sequel? I think, there, I don't know, but I, the only thing that I feel inspired to do would be a Marinara Twin spinoff. <laughs> where you kind of get like a day in their lives and you feel the inter like the familial pressure and the, you know, maybe some of their trauma that led them to be so hard and such, you know, killers, but you know, I don't know, maybe. Well, if you need a, a Weasley guy to kill, I, I volunteer myself. <laughs> okay. Amazing. I will 1000% you will kill take me? you out. I will 1000% have the marinara twins take you out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, thought, I thought it was interesting you said you can't finish a song until there's a visual I, I don't, what does that mean exactly no i usually can't i can finish a song but a lot of times songs or like the full idea or expression it doesn't feel fully realized and for some of them until i like i see it visually and i'm like as i'm making it i'm like oh that would be sick if i was doing this or doing that and then it kind of just heightens the expression for me. Like I feel more well-rounded. It's a better well-rounded piece of me or creation that, um, when I do visuals too. 
I feel that way about, I feel like I'm a better, I've always felt that way. Like I have trouble fully expressing myself just through my sounds, but, or like my voice and sounds through music, but live, I feel more confident in that. Oh, whether you like it or not, you're going to get a good representation of who I am. You're going to understand who I actually am and how I express myself. And so videos for me have always been like a way to show more of that side, I guess. And so it always feels kind of full circle when I finish a good visual for, and I'm, and I'm done with it. Your videos are great. I want to point Thank you. And they're like really entertaining. Like they're, you know, a lot of videos you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. like, but like, I don't know, like yours are really engaging and often like funny and entertaining, which is. Thank you. <clears throat> Means a lot. Do more serious, pretentious ones where no one wants to watch, please. <laughs> yeah, totally. But is that something. Did you just sort of start making your own videos or was that always like filmmaking and directing? Is that, was that also an interest that you were sort of working towards? Um, growing up, I would always just make, I think skateboarding made me make a lot more videos when you're, when you have a crew of skate friends, I feel like everyone just ends up filming stupid tricks and then you start filming stupid jokes and then it turns into skits and then you're like, okay, now we're just making videos all day. And so that was always more of like a playful, fun thing for me to do with less pressure than music. And I feel like music I took always as my, like, I'm working on breaking it now and holding less expectations and stuff. But growing up, it would be like, okay, this is my serious thing that I'm going to, you know, I'm good at this. I'm going to do this. Whereas videos was just like a good way to fuck around and have fun. Um, and so I think I was always drawn to it in that way and making stupid skits or stupid videos. And I'm just starting to learn. I feel like with this new stuff on how to properly like blend the two and, and, um, marry it all into one, one thing. Did you, was there like a decision to be like, all right, I'm a musician. I know that sounds weird, but like I made that sort of decision in my life where I could take you to the street in my hometown and be like, right there, I decided I'm going to do this. Yeah, totally. Um, I wish I could go back and slap that fucking kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take him out. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think I fell in love with performing more than, more than songwriting. I remember the sixth grade talent show covering brain stew by green day it was electric <laughs> two guitars two guitars and a drummer <laughs> no it wasn't like an electric performance but i just remember being really stoked and um then we covered social distortion next year and i don't know i think i just liked that more um and i didn't even really think of myself as a full-time like musician i wasn't a great songwriter or anything i was just stumbling my way through it i didn't even like taking lessons or learning too much about guitar when i was in high school and then when i got to i went to college and everyone was incredible musicians and i, I think i wanted to be i wanted to make music but it wasn't like i'm a musician and then i kind of just got thrust into it because uh me and my roommate started making music and it was in the age where youtube things caught on quick quickly it's like the tiktok now but um and so we got some traction right away and then we kind of just ran with it and the next bunch of years were just a blur of like i guess we are this band and this is our identity and um it was really cool because i got to learn a lot and i um learned a lot about the business side of everything and we toured a lot but i came out of that and kind of readjusted and I think moving out to California helped me 
balance my whole view of myself and purpose out a little bit more. Cause it wasn't just Nashville. I was just squeezing music. I was like, this is what I do. I wake up and I worry about music, whether it's what I'm going to write or who I'm going to email or what, what our next move is. And I think squeezing it that tight is just a way to start to hate something and to not make true creations, make them for the wrong reasons. And you send off a vibration then where you're kind of just like, I'm desperate for this, you know, yeah. and that's not an, that's not an attractive <laughs> vibration. I know that vibration all too well. Yeah. And when you're 18 and something catches on and you're like, Oh, your ego is like, Oh God, that was, that was cool. And then you start chasing that. And it wasn't until I really moved out here when I was like, Oh, I can, my quality of life is just better. And so I cannot. I can be, uh, have, not have as much pressure on music and success and just be a little bit more present. And I think that helped me a lot to even myself out. But that was a long, weird way to saying, I don't know if I ever knew that I was like a full or thought I was fully a musician until college. And even now I think that kind of burned off. Like, I don't want to just be a musician. You know, I, I don't know if I will forever, but I love music, but I could see myself, I want to be creative forever, but I don't know if it'll be like, you know, any sort of box or form that I can say right now. So what did you go to Nashville to be like, I'm going to be a fucking songwriter guy. No, my dad found this school and told me about it. And he was like, it's a music business school. And I was always really drawn to, both sides. I think I grew up like with a little bit too much pressure on myself of like, I also got to be like a mover and a shaker, probably the little bit of Jersey. My mom's a badass. She gets a lot of things done. So I think I was like, I also have always loved, I love the creative side, but I'm not one of those creative people that can like never bring himself to release things or isn't going to follow up the email. Um, and so I think he was like, you like music business. You should go to this music business school. And if you make music great, if not, you like being in that industry. So you could be a manager or something. And so I went just kind of being like, let me try this out. I wasn't super stoked on Nashville and it was only because we kind of had a thing that caught on that I ran with. I'm a performer and a musician and this is who I am now. Um, but I went for like entertainment industry studies. So whatever that could mean, <laughs> the most vague version to where you can carry that into any, well, I know, you know, I studied the entertainment industry, so I can do anything now. So it was just kind of, it was natural for me. It was more just like learning the ropes of your own, how to express yourself, how to tour, how to talk to a manager, how to, you know, and a lot of cool connections and other artists that I became friends with. It's a good little community over there. But, um, yeah, I didn't go wanting to be a songwriter at all. It just kind of ended up, I had a cool creative roommate and we started making weird stuff. What was the thing that you said that kind of, I don't know, did you say took off? There was something that kind of took off or what? Yeah, it was just like a couple of our first music videos got on. It's like so, it sounds so weird now, but I feel like the number one way to find music was these college music blogs, at least for college kids. Um, Because there was no Spotify playlists, there was none of that. And the radio was kind of like not cool anymore. So for a little brief period before they figured it out better, it was like college music blogs. And there was a kid that ran a college music blog posted some of our first music videos and we woke up and it was like, Oh, they have a hundred thousand views. Holy and shit. now kids, kids are emailing us like come to Kansas to play my 
fraternity and just weird stuff like that. And so <laughs> we just like ran with that in a little while and it was really goofy. And it's almost that band for me, a lot of it, not for any, like I, I love what we did and I loved figuring out who we were with those people. But for me, I was like trying to be the front man and stuff. And it's like watching a super cringy video of me in high school at a party saying something dumb. Like it's like, it's like, it's like the, the height of embarrassing for me. Cause I was 18 and like, I got, was given a bunch of confidence and I was just like, okay, cool. I'm a cool guy that sings now. And, and, and it was just like putting yourself out there that hard and making all these videos. And you're still like, I was such a late bloomer. I was still like mid puberty when I was 18. So just, it's just like, not I, a cool I totally thing to, relate to that. <laughs> yeah, it's not a cool thing to look back on. Um, Plus, for me, eighteen, so. man, that's a that's a lot of. I don't know. If, at eighteen, if something like that would have happened to me, I would have fucking lost my mind. Yeah, it was cool. It was. I mean, it was really exciting, and it wasn't until later that I was like, I need to take a step back and maybe grapple with the fact that this shouldn't be something that I do forever, and it could be more beneficial to leave this thing. Um, how old were and, you when you realized that? Because that's a pretty like self-aware moment for a young man. Yeah, probably like we did it for like a year or two after we graduated. So probably when I was like 23. Fuck, that's 20. pretty. Or maybe I was a fucking idiot, but that's like, to me, that's pretty self-aware for 23. I'm also a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. But yeah, I guess it was just like 23, 24 was like, I'm not super happy and I and we, and we had tried to we had grown as a band and we hated our own old kind of music and we liked our new stuff but we could we were constantly getting judged by the old stuff and um I think there just came a point when I was like this isn't making me happy and we're not making that much money to where I'm like throwing away a big thing I think I'd be better off dropping all this and starting from scratch and figuring out who I am first and what I actually want to say and the way I want to present it instead of being some cringe dude um and then that kind of coincided with like probably a year after that i moved to la and so then it was like silent for a couple years and it was really beautiful because i wasn't triggered by all these like expectations and pressures and i was like oh reconnecting with surfing and my life was better balanced and um and now i'm just starting to come back into having to grapple with like running my own business again and is this what I want to do forever and making music like this and um I love it and I'm loving this moment but it's funny basically I'm saying like the past three years I was like oh I used to be so I used to care what people think and then I just you know I moved out here and yeah my music has a life its first life is with me when I'm creating it and then and then I let it go and it's second life is for you. And I'm unaffected of what you think about it because it's dead to me and it's a different. And then I actually put a song out. I put out Karma's a gun that I actually cared about. And I was like, fuck, I care what everybody thinks. And I'm like checking what's, and I wasn't even like judging it. I, I, I believe in it. And I think it came during COVID when the rat race was turned off. So I don't think I was like making it being like, well, this cool guy, like what I'm making. Well, this cool, you know, it was just like, I did just make them. They came from a pure place. But while putting them out, I realized, oh, I still really um, care what people think. And I still, I feel this pressure that I grew up with where I was like, I know the music business. And if I don't do everything to make, to get this song 
out there and seen and heard, then who's going to do it? So I'm very like, you can ask Lou. I'm like every day I'm like, okay, I emailed this guy, I emailed that guy. We're going to wait to hear back from this girl and we're going to blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it's, he's, he thinks it's cool because somebody's working with him to do <laughs> stuff. But I'm like, I think it's cool too, but I'm also like, I have to change my relationship with that. Cause if my mind's going nonstop at what else I should be doing. And then if I get let down by those expectations, it's not serving me to make this stuff, you know? So I like, I love the process, but when I put out karma's a gun, I was like, Oh fuck. I'm like moving too fast. I'm worrying too much about who I should send it to and it getting its proper shot. Cause I worked so hard on it and I just need to like calm down. I literally, had a crazy experience after putting that out, started reading autobiography of a yogi. And now I've been meditating every day to try to spend like <laughs> an hour, an hour of not, you know, I'm only spending like three hours a day of let's plan some band shit. Cause I'm, I, it is me and Lou and we're planning like a release show and a residency and press and radio and all these things. But so it is badass but I need to change my relationship with it and just turn my brain off sometimes to not judge myself and not have too big of expectations and whatever. Um, but yeah, so that was my roller coaster of like my relationship with music, I guess. And I'm in a pretty good spot right now. I feel pretty happy. Are you so. able to sort of step back when you read something? I don't know if somebody doesn't like what you do. Cause I've, I don't know. I've been in spots where I've like, all right, here's this thing I wrote. And then somebody's like, nope. And I fucking like have had meltdowns, man. Like, yeah. Like I've just like, well, I guess I fucking going to go sell insurance in Ohio now. Nothing against people totally. who do that in Ohio, but <laughs> <laughs> not for me. <laughs> we all have a different dream. Um, no, I've definitely been through that for sure. And I don't think now, I think now, since I know my music came from a pure place, I know how I feel about it and I know that I like it and I know that it's like a true thing that came out of me. Um, it's more that I, I feel this pressure on myself. I do care about like, I get sucked into Instagram and all of that where I'll be like, sometimes I'll be like, Oh, that video must have actually sucked because nobody liked it. You know, it's hard to break that, but it, it's not like negative comments as much as it's like, if I don't do this, no one will. If I don't push it, no one will. And, um, yeah. And then if I don't get the, the things that I was hoping for, maybe it just wasn't a good song, you know, like, and that's not true at all. And that's not, it's more like that kind of stuff than like that guy's comment hurt me. Cause I feel at least with the new stuff that I'm proud of it. Um, it's more just that, yeah, I'm too easily shaken or, discouraged by results you know you're supposed to not be in the results business you gotta be in the experience <laughs> business so. yeah i always wonder how it was for those guys who were like ahead of their time and they're just like getting nothing like you know like the stooges or the mc5 nobody fucking got what they were doing until like totally. and i'm like did, were they just like what the fuck or did they kind of know what were they just like well fuck you we're great i mean they kind of believed in themselves to a degree but there's even the sad ones like Emmett Rhodes, who was like the one man Beatle and he was doing it at the same time. And he was inspiring Paul McCartney and Paul McCartney was kind of inspiring him. And he lived out here and he recorded everything, but totally by himself. Yeah. Sounded like the Beatles, but he did everything, engineered it, produced it all himself. And he never like really did anything. And those records now are like indie 
old, but he's, he's um, still alive, isn't he? Or he just passed away. That's my right. friend, my friend just shot photos of him for a book called Mirror Sound, where they focus on people who recorded themselves. Whoa, um, that's cool. And they like got margaritas with him, and he op- he like brought him to the studio that he hadn't opened the doors to in like thirty years, and everything was covered in dust. And they like hung out in there. Um, and then, yeah, I think he passed away pretty recently after that, or pretty soon after that. It's kind of wild that he's not more. I mean, just, catchy, just... catchy ass songs, such cool production. He rules, and to do it all yourself in that time was like unheard of. You were an idiot, you know. It's like why well, try to learn all that stuff when you could just go to everyone else was just going to a studio, you know. Yeah, that's like people toss around the word genius pretty lightly, but to me, I'm like, that's fucking genius. Like that. Yeah, that's like operating on so many levels. It's totally. I I like. I did my record by myself. I recorded it by myself, but I had a computer and a four track, and then I passed it off to other people to make it sound good because it did not sound good. <laughs> not not to re not to record things, but to mix the sounds that I got and make them not sound like trash. Because I I have a level to which I care, and then I and then it goes out the window. So I'll set everything up, and then. I'll record it and I'll make sure I get a good take. And then I'm like, fuck EQ. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what that does. These buttons, I'm going to ignore those. And then I just send it out. And then you're like, no wonder that sounds kind of lo-fi <laughs> because you skipped a lot of steps. But even me doing that is really difficult. And so I can't imagine pre, pre, pre computers, pre, and you didn't have any help, you know, it's just, uh, and to go through that whole process without getting too in your head, I need to bounce. I, I, I make something. Once it feels good, I show Mackenzie. If that goes well, I'll add some more stuff. And then I need to bounce it off someone else to mix it or whatever. But just to go through all those stages and be confident in what you were, what the vision was and follow it through is really, it is genius. It's really impressive. Yeah. Is it true your four track is from Hilly Crystal? Yeah. How the fuck did that happen? That's like crazy. That, I know, it is crazy. I was riding my bike with my mom in Asbury Park like two, three, three, four summers ago Um, because I visit for like a week or two every summer and we were riding around and I saw a garage sale and we stopped and there was these, uh, I saw like vintage CBGB shirts like from the 70s and they were like dead stock, like never been touched. And I was like, what the f- what's going on? And so then I kind of like asked the lady, where'd you get it? Like what's with all the weird CBGB shirts? And she just was like, Oh, you know, we just had them at the house and like kept doing her thing. And then I saw the four track and I had just been getting into, I really want to find a good four track, but I was going to buy the cheapy, like newer plastic light version. And this was like a 1980 giant substantial with the same preamps from a bigger reel-to-reel tape machine. It's, it just is going to sound way better. And I was like, how much for that? Because it wasn't... <laughs> what I wanted was like 200 bucks, and I knew that was like 1500 bucks or something. And they were like, $15. And I was like, what? okay, cool. Yeah, I was like, cool. Well, maybe it was either 15 or 20 And I was like, I'm gonna, all right, I'll buy that. And... um bought it and then you know started talking to them some more because i'm like something's up this is weird and finally the husband was like my wife's father is hilly crystal who owned and founded cbgb's this is his house he died like 
however many years ago, but we never cleaned his house out. We're finally cleaning his house out so we can move into somewhere in the house. And so all this shit was his stuff from CBGB's. And I grabbed a couple of the t-shirts, but um, they didn't know, they hadn't cleaned out and figured out where the tapes were yet. Cause I could, Oh, and the other thing was it lived in his um, office in the basement of CBGB's, but he would bring it up to record band sound checks. And so I'm like, I immediately was like, where are the tapes? And they're like, we don't know. We haven't seen them, but he would, it was like one of his hobbies. He liked messing around with his little toy. So he would bring it up and be like, Oh, the Ramones and the Stooges are here, whatever. I'm going to see if I can use this thing. And he would record them, their sound checks. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And you got it for $15. Yeah. And I flew with it on my lap out here. <laughs> um, yeah. And I took it to Solutions in Silver Lake. It's like a legendary old dude who also, this guy believes that everyone in the world is listening and re- recording to and listening to music wrong because we're not taking height of th- distance and height of things into consideration. He's like, think about it. If you record a dog, where would you, barking, where would you put the microphone? You would put it in front of the dog, right? And you're like, yeah. He's like, wrong. You want to put it where your ears would be in relation to the dog. And then it adds a whole nother dimension. And I was like, and he has people that fully believe it. And they come in to get him to like change the impedance on his, their speakers so they can listen to music correctly. But he makes you listen to him for like two hours, tell you how everything was made and listened to wrong, except for there's one record. I think it's literally, I think it's the Celine Dion record. And he's like, (laughs) he's like, that is the perfectly recorded album, but everything else is trash. And but he fixes your shit. So he fixed it. And I wasn't living in LA yet. I was in my girlfriend's old band's practice space in the summer with no AC. And I, that's uh, I made, I'm not your man that summer. And that was me like figuring out that machine, figuring out how to use it, running back and forth to places to figure out what other wires I needed. I knew nothing. Um, and that was like what came out of that. So and then I, now I kind of feel like I have to use it always. I recorded a couple things, the EP, it was I'm Not Your Man, then a, then a couple more songs on the, that four track. And then I made an EP with Joel Jerome, and he's incredible. But I felt this, like, after it was done, I was like, oh, I kind of wish I, like, used the four track or, like, dirtied this stuff up a little bit or made it more sound like me because it was a lot of just him getting his sounds, which I asked for because his sounds are incredible. But so then this whole album, I came back and just did it all myself on that same machine on the four track. And it... it there's just something about when you struggle through instead of being like, Hey, get me a Sergeant Pepper's snare sound, whatever. There's something that you can, that translates when you sit there and struggle for eight hours to figure out how to get a good snare sound. And then you care about it and you mix it yourself, you know? So it's all just like your touch is on everything. And I feel a closer relationship to this music because of that. But yeah. So now I'm like, I think I need to use that four track on everything I ever do. And even if I go to a studio, I'm going to bring it and be like, you're recording through this with me <laughs> because I love it. It's janky too. It spits everything out at a different speed. It's kind of a nightmare. So imagine I have a kick and a snare. It sends the kick drum and I send it out to the computer to, to organize the tracks and to mix them. So I'll send the kick drum out and it sends at a certain speed. And then I'll send this, I'll solo the snare drum and send the snare drum to the computer. And when you look at them on the computer, they start off 
in time with each other. And by the end, they're like, they're like way off. Like they're cause the, cause the tape heads were speeding up and slowing down while they were bouncing out the cassette. And so I end up sitting there for like nine hours like dragging things back to meet up with each other. <laughs> so it's so the song is in the right timing that I played it. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just, and, and that doesn't, and you, that's a passion, like a job. What would that labor of passion? It's, yeah. You're not I like, like fucking like, up. Wow. No, it doesn't happen all the time. And I like the machine, but it is funny. I've had a couple people, friends or people be like, I love that sound you got on that song, man. Like I'd love to do a song with you. And I'm like, you don't want to do a song. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> They're like, don't be like that, man. Come on. Like, and I'm like, you don't, you don't want to do something. <laughs> You're going to sit there next to me for 15 hours while I like, I'm also on GarageBand. I don't, it's too much work for me to figure out how to use another one or to pay for another one. So I'm four track in GarageBand, all the delays on my record and like slap back and all the EQ and compression is all stock GarageBand sound. Uh, plugins or whatever <laughs> that's wild i mean don't you maybe i'm being too fucking hippie jones here but like don't you take that finding that eight four track is a sort of like a sign from the universe or whatever <laughs> it's like totally. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty intense it guided me into making this solo project because i was like maybe i'm gonna make my own music i don't know if i can the other guys in my band had always been like the engineers. And so it was totally like a guiding sign that was like, okay, I'm supposed to, I was about to order on a whim that felt forced a different four track. And then this amazing one with an amazing story fell into my lap and I feel a relationship with it. And so I totally think it's like the main reason I started doing great strange was because I found that. Um, so yeah, I, I totally do think that it, came at the right time i think i needed it is it too weird to speculate what happens if you don't come across that four track i think you never know i think i still would have made that song i, I would have made all night your man because i had it written and i would have made it on a different four track and it wouldn't have sounded as cool and i think you never know i don't know what would have i would have lived in la still and made that four track song but who knows if anything would have ever happened of it or if I would have started a different band or, you know, whatever. But, um, it definitely like gave me the momentum and helped me find a sound. When I go into a cool big studio and there's a million things, I'm like, this is fucked because I don't know how to sound. I don't know. I know if you just put me straight into the computer, I'm going to hate it, but I don't know which of these millions of things is going to help me make me sound like myself or something that I'm excited about something that rustles my jimmies. And so, uh, it helped me like it, it kind of dictated what I was going to sound like for at least for a while, you know, that's pretty wild. Cause it's very limiting too. the four tracks are like, there's not a lot you can do there. There's four tracks. <laughs> there's like, each, each track's got a couple knobs and it's like, you can't record too many things at once. You can't bounce them out at the right speed. So what are you going to do, buddy? Like it's pretty, uh, <laughs> it kind of decides for you how, how you're going to record and what your process is going to be and all that. So I'm super grateful for it. Yeah. How did you, I don't know. Like I read some of your influences where now I only can remember one unless I look at my notebook, which I try not to do. 
Oh, the king. <laughs> I try to just let it go and fucking make it an improv, man. But uh, I, I found like B-52s, Kinks, as were some people you listed as your influence. What I'm getting to is I think you're a really great songwriter. Like, I think you're... Like, I was listening to a lot of it this morning, and I was just like, fuck, this dude knows how to write a great song. Thanks. That means a lot. I grew up, like, into a lot of just, like, classic, catchy stuff, like classic rock, classic pop. And my dad was really, really into, like, old, like, Toots and Maytails and stuff. I listened to, like, a lot of that. That was, like, my, instead of having early on, like, a James Brown type thing, he was, like, my sole performer guy. But, so I guess I got some songwriting from that, and then, I don't know, I I love all different kinds of stuff. I pull from... I like the attitude of people, of bands like the B-52s, or of... um, the Toots and the Maytails and James Brown and the Beastie Boys. You know, I like the attitude from those people. Songwriting-wise, it's everyone from, like, the Beatles to the Kinks to current people to pop writers. I just like catchy shit. Um, And I found after we just played our first show back and I had to teach, like, four new people all my music in a couple days to play the show. And I was like, every one of my songs has a tempo change. They all like slow down or speed up. And I was like, maybe I got to change some shit. I don't know where I get that from. I don't know where, what, what that is, but yeah, I definitely have a couple things that I took from certain people and all, I, I, they're not blank, like glaringly obvious, but I'll like do something and be like, Oh, you totally took that from whoever, you know? So who songwriting wise, I went through like a lot of like, like I think early on a big songwriter that I liked was like the blue album. Weezer was like a catchy rock album and like early white stripe stuff like that was happening currently. I mean, when I was in the nineties, um, I, I, I found that my girlfriend Mackenzie is much better with lyrics and with expressing herself. Like she could with, telling you about something um whereas i've uh, melodies have always come easier for me so i can write something i can write the melody really quick that usually comes first like some chords and a melody and it'll sit forever and i don't know what to write about or once it hits me i kind of have trouble writing the lyrics um and i ask for help with that stuff but i never ask for help with melodies because i feel they they kind of come to me and um in easy flowing ways. And I, I feel pretty confident about them. Once I write them, I'm like, Oh, I don't want like, like my partner will get annoyed because she'll be like, Oh, you should, you should change this. And I'm like, I'm not changing that. I like, I like that part. It's good because of this. She's like, she's like, all right, well then don't ask me. I'm like, I asked you about the lyrics. I want to, I want to suck your, the, the, the good lyrics out of you. I don't want any melody help. I'm trying to suck the magic out of the words that you have, not the melodies. And so it's funny. She's like, beggars can't be choosers. But um, yeah, I, that's my own struggle. I have a lot of, I have a really hard time with lyrics. Sometimes, sometimes it comes to you in two seconds and it's done. But melodies for me, are. I guess that's what I'm lucky for. That's what comes easier for me. Do you and Mackenzie work to? Do you, have you done anything like just you two where it's like Mackenzie and I want, the Grady show? I want, I want to do a band called Strange Pet because her music's called Pet Dress. 
and mine's called Grady Strange, so I wanted a strange pet. But um, we're pretty much just all over each other's stuff. This album I did pretty much fully by myself. It was the most by myself thing I've done since I started making music with her. But um, she still plays like sax, sings backups on every vocal, on every song. Um, the whole like, I never worried about harmonies. She's an amazing, she writes a lot of great harmonies. So she adds that in my songs and she writes a lot of the lead lines on guitar because live she plays lead guitar for me so um we we haven't yet done like a full collab thing um it's either and i play guitar in her band and sing a little bit so it's more just like we like having our own music over here and then it's like it's like the pressure's off and you're on vacation. You're like, oh, I'm playing a pet dress show. Like I don't I don't have to worry about anything. I get to just play this riff and chill. Whereas like Grady Strange show, she feels no pressure, and I feel like we we like adding little special notes on each other's music without kind of fully it being a constant uh, like collab, full collab. You know? Yeah, and. I'm trying to figure out how to. I, you're, but you're like a you perform. You're a performer too. Like you're not just uh, shoegazing. You put on a full fucking show, right? No, yeah. You dance I like- and I, I've I've only seen little bits, but I I want to see you live for sure. Yeah, I think um, Stu, if if I could put out music that's original and you liked it and you wanted to come see my show, and then I was allowed to just have a like live band karaoke show i would do that that's way more fun for me than like playing my own music i love taking the guitar off we, we just played a show in the last i was just so excited for the last song and i just i didn't even care about the rest of the set really we did that's life by frank sinatra and i detuned my vocals down an octave so it was just like that's life <laughs> but um yeah i like performing a lot and I just feel natural and I feel like a different, there's a different part of me that comes out. Um, we have friends that we've been friends with now for a year and a half. They moved to LA right at the beginning of COVID, but they've never seen any of us perform. And they came to our show and they're like, what the fuck? You're like a different person, like in a, in a good way. I'm not, I'm not faking anything, but it's like a totally different thing. I like, I just like, I feel comfortable up there. I like ranting about shit and rolling around and whatever. I like it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is Have you ever thought Do you act? Do you want to act? You seem like you should act Is what I'm getting at You seem like a good actor I don't know I, I don't like I like Acting out things that me and my friends thought of I don't know if I would be good at like Okay, you're a 1800s Quaker man, you know, I don't think, I don't think I would get a lot out of that. You know, I don't think I would, (laughs) but if I get to like write my own little thing, totally, which I'm thinking maybe I'll do more of, but yeah, I had a really funny story. I was, when I first moved to LA, I was bussing tables and I had like the classic LA story where I was bussing someone's table and a woman was like, do you have an agent? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, do you, do you act? And I was like, no. She's like, I like your look. Do you have an agent? I'm like, no. <laughs> and she was basically pitched it to me as we sign like musicians and people who don't give a shit about acting, but look 
however, whatever fits. And she was like, you wouldn't get cast a lot for like commercials and stuff. You'd be like stoner number two and skater. And that those are rare. But if you do get one, we send you an audition. You can live the rest of your life except for that day. Like normal, you film an audition, you send it. If you get it, it's up to like 65 grand for a day's work. And I was like, okay, sure. So I signed to this agency and all I ever did was I booked an Apple commercial where my face was supposed to be in it. And then the production team brought me in on the wrong day and I just got my thumbs texting in it. So my, my thumbs have been in an Apple commercial. Uh, and then other than that, I, it sounds shitty, but I don't feel passionate about it at all about doing that kind of stuff. Like they'll send me like, you're a father of McDonald's commercial. You're a father and you're going to do this and you're going to, and I'm like, I don't even send in, I don't do the videos because it's just not something I care about and I have other stuff to do, but so that doesn't feel like it's going to go anywhere. But, but um, the initial thought was, whoa, 65 grand. I could fund a whole record and a tour and my music could suck and I could still have fun. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do that, but maybe I'll act at some point. I like writing things out and trying to direct them. I felt bad. I just made a music video this week for the third. It's the third single off the album. It comes out in like two weeks or something. But um I made a music video with my friend Pune and she's a big, awesome music photographer and a director for music videos. She's done a bunch of my favorite bands, music videos. And so I did it with her, but we're really good friends. And I felt bad halfway through. I was like, I'm like backseat or trying, attempting to backseat direct this. And I need to chill because I always just direct my own thing and write my own thing. But I was like, I need to let her do her thing because she's obviously really, really good at it. And it wasn't that I wasn't trusting her. It's that I get excited in those times. And I'm like, you should do it over the shoulder like this and show the dance studio or whatever. It was silly shit, but I really like that. So that's a passion of mine. So I want to eventually make more stuff, but I don't know what. Yeah. Album comes out July 22nd, by the way. Mine does? I think so. Am I wrong? July, July 22nd. Let me look. I think you're right. No, my show's the 23rd, and that's a Friday. It comes out the Wednesday. It comes out the 21st. Oh, all right. But, but you look on the 22nd, it'll definitely be there. <laughs> like I said, your music's great. Like, I'm really just, uh, you're great. I don't need to. Thank you, dude. I appreciate it. It means a lot. I love the show, for real. Thank Stoked. you. And I can't wait to see you live. I know it's going to be good. Hell yeah. All I'll right. keep you in the loop. to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram and you could learn more about the show buy merch and all those great things thank you very much for listening